Hey. Greetings. Be you watching this live or on playback. Uh, I am your servant, Brother Minister Zumbi. Uh, tonight we're going to talk about, you know, there's that old phrase that 50 Cent put out, get rich or die trying. Uh, we're going to talk about he may not be too far away from the truth when he put that song out. Like I said, like the Honorable Elijah Muhammad said, do for self or suffer the consequences. How the hell do you make the CIA boy the hero when we know what the history has been between the CIA and Africa? Only when the father makes his trans uh, makes his transition to the ancestral realm of the Agungun does the son truly become a man. All right, well, it's time to separate the men from the boys, the women from the girls, the mm. them from the younger thems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Zumba, you're going to talk about tonight. Y'all broke if y'all stay here. Mm. If you stay in some of these municipalities you're going to talk about, y'all really broke. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> I know really sounds a, crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, like I said, I tiled it the death of the middle class because whether you realize it or not, the middle class is already dead. And in essence, it's always been an artificial status anyway. Hmm. Okay. To make you feel like you're progressing. But in reality, there's really only two classes you have a working class and those who own and control the means of production. That's it. Okay. And All right. what has happened is, is that things have come along the way, whether it's globalization, automation, robotics, artificial intelligence, uh, outsourcing, downsizing, privatization, that has basically exposed the middle class as a lot. Okay. So what I'm going to get into tonight, and really this is an article that will be in the expanded edition of the Gospel of Afronomics Theology. Uh, there was a study done uh, by Charles Schwab in February of 2002. Now, this is an article. It was a two-part article that was done by CNBC.com uh, July 3rd and July 10th of 2022. And I'm going to pull this up here. A survey was conducted in February 2022 by Charles Schwab's annual Modern Wealth Survey. And the survey revealed that the average American is considered, and this is in quotations, financially comfortable if they have a personal net worth of 774,000 US dollars. And if you live in any one of these 10 cities that I'm gonna discuss, you're going to need at least seven figures. You know, there was a phrase probably about 15 years ago to start out that says, becoming a millionaire will be the new middle class. And we're already here. Okay. So what I'm going to read to you is two lists, 12 major cities in the US. The first list is what it would take to be financially comfortable in these 12 areas. And the second list is what it would take to be financially wealthy in these 12 areas. Okay. So now both of these studies, the online survey was conducted with a sample of 500 to 750 local residents in each metropolitan area between the ages of 21 to 75. So you have uh, a good range of individuals that, that participated in this survey. Now, this is in descending order. This is the list of what it takes to be financially comfortable. This is what your personal net worth must be. Number one, the San Francisco Bay Area, $1.7 million. New York City, $1.4 million. Number three, Southern California. This includes from Los Angeles down to the San Diego area near the border. 1.3 million. 
Seattle, 1.2 million. Washington, D.C., 1.1 million. Chicago, 956,000. Houston, 919,000. Boston, 892,000. Dallas, 840,000. Atlanta, 771,000. Phoenix, 747,000. And Denver, $671,000. Okay, now that's to be financially comfortable in these 12 areas. All right, so does the survey give any indication on why there's such a disparity in what is needed to be comfortable in these various cities? Well, um, I couldn't really find anything. Now, I'll make my own, I don't want to say speculation, but I have my own theory. Uh, okay. we, we, we have to throw in inflation. That, that has to be thrown in. Um, you're also looking at you also have to you also have to throw in taxes okay if we look at say new york and california there's what i would call a brain drain where you're seeing a lot of people leave these two areas mainly because it's just getting too expensive you know a lot of people uh on the west coast who are living either in the bay area or in la who know about the rising state tax in california like a prime example is iced tea he doesn't live in L.A. anymore. He's in Scottsdale, Arizona. Wait, 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 wait. Ice-T is in Scottsdale, Arizona. That's yeah. intriguing. <laughs> yeah. And like I said, you, you're seeing a lot of people leave uh, California where they're either going to, let's say, Nevada, okay. Arizona, or even as far as Texas. All right. Well, look, one of our good Facebook viewers says it's the cost of living. Is the cost of living one of the main factors for the disparity? Mm -hmm. Well, we, you know, we go into that. You know, we talk about inflation. We talk about taxes where a lot of residents in certain areas are being taxed out of uh, these primary. And like I said, we mentioned New York and we mentioned L.A. Uh, we mentioned uh, San Diego and we talk about the Bay Area. OK, so taxes and inflation play a significant role in why we see you know the the rising personal net worth that's needed to be in these areas okay 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 so now that's the list of being financially comfortable in these 12 areas okay well, that was i, wanted to, yeah. oh, I wanted to tap in it looks like the with the modern wealth survey which you're referring to mm -hmm. they only had a national sample of about a thousand americans hmm Okay. Is this the same uh, Charles Schwab survey? It is. It is. Okay. And it says that they, this data is collected by Schwab quarterly via online survey of clients with retail assets of at least $2,000. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. I'm wondering if CNBC had to short, had to, you know, um, edit the article to fit, you know, to fit within its they had to sensationalize it <laughs> <laughs> but i think it's really instructive because mm. as people are making decisions about where can i plant my business where can i build right. my family mm. where can i retire right these are some things you may want to really take in consideration where is the cost of living as mm. you know the facebook user mentioned where's the cost of living such that i can really live comfortably right and especially when I mean, look at Donald Trump. He's no longer a New York state resident. He's officially a resident of the state of Florida. Okay. okay. Hey, the pay or lack thereof doesn't match the levels of inflation or cost of living. There are Fortune 50, 50 companies. I was going to say 500. I wonder if they meant to say 500. So mm -hmm. the uh, user said there are Fortune 50 companies, mine included, that can't even keep up. Wow. So. Okay. Yeah, so these are things that we really need to take in consideration when we're making our life plans. Exactly. And then we also have to start, you know, looking into the future as to 
I mean, we can even take the Forbes 400, for example. Okay. Forbes oh. 400? Mm-hmm. Because notice how more of your uh, members of the Forbes 400 are no longer in the Northeast. They're in the Southwest West, and in some cases in uh, the Southeast, particularly like uh, Why? Miami, Tampa. Well, it's it's it goes back to taxes and inflation. It's like you want to be somewhere where uh, your money is not heavily taxed. And by doing that, what you're seeing is, is that, well, I'll, I'll put it this way, okay? Don't be surprised if you start seeing more people who can afford to start taking their wealth out of the country and finding other countries that are more tax friendly towards their wealth. Oh, so we're, you're, are you saying that people are leaving the great United States of America for soils that have less taxes mm-hmm. i mean is that a thing i mean i mean we've seen it with companies i mean you look at companies now um where it was okay we're leaving the northeast and the midwest we're going to places like uh, i want to say toyota okay where they i think they had plants right outside the dallas area before they started Okay, we're going to make Toyotas in Mexico or we're going to make them in some other country where we're not so heavily taxed. And you know what's interesting to me is Mm. you have to be a special type of person to think that way. Joe Smo is not going to think that way. Uh, You know, Jane and John, Mm -hmm. you know, Tyreek and Shaniqua, they're not going to think that way. Right. You know, and for those of you who may watch his podcast, uh, Patrick Bet David, okay, was based in California. So he went from California to, I want to say Dallas or Houston. Now he's in Miami because of the fact of taxes, because taxes drove him out of California into Texas and then from Texas into where, where he's presently based in Miami. All right. So when we talk about in turn, well, when we talk about empowerment, you know, this whole channel is built on empowerment. Right. How does this information empower us? Well, it's a like you said, it's about making informed decisions. You know, there's a book. I can't think of the name of the book right now, but it's what they it's uh, the gentleman talks about like a reverse great migration. Hmm. Okay, where. People who left the South to come to the North and the Midwest because of economic opportunities, now you're finding them going back to the South. I just wish I could remember the name of the book that that talks about that as far as the strategy for African people. Well, how does that play into our businesses? Well, again... Um, in fact, I just heard, heard something about, okay, let's say you want to incorporate a business. All right. Okay. It said that you never want to incorporate in states like New York and California because of the over-regulation that's involved. In fact, I've, I've talked with a number of, um, nanotech companies here in New York state, and they've all told me that. Yes, they're based in New York State, but they did their articles of incorporation in Delaware. <laughs> now, when we've, you know, with the businesses that I'm a part of, mm-hmm. we've been advised to create our entities in Delaware. Yeah. So that, it's, that's not a shock to me, but how does that impact our ability to serve our community with our businesses? You know, Brian uh, from Black Brand has said that economics is our civil rights. Mm-hmm. So, it, matter of fact, let me play it. All I want to do is continue to empower the community through group economics. This is the fight of our time. The fight of my parents and my grandparents were, you know, sitting at the diner, making sure that the laws aren't blatantly against you in a very explicit way. 
the fight of our generation is economic empowerment. This is something. So if, if that's the case, and there are certain places we need to live, should it be as simple as, all right, I need to move my business and my family to these places? Mm-hmm. Well, like, you know, when I get into the thing, and oh, and there's a sidebar, believe it or not, the Honorable Marcus Garvey, when he created the Black Star Line, it, it was a Delaware corporation. Hmm. And he raised $2 million in stock doing it. Okay. Wait, 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 wait. I, I always heard that he raised a great amount of money. So he raised $2 mil mm-hmm. back then. Right. And there was no WeFunder. There was no start engine. There was no Republic. There was no main vest. There was no GoFunder back then. And he raised $2 million in stock? $2 million in stock is a Delaware corporation to set up the Black Star Line. So even if the Honorable Marcus Garvey understood the importance of incorporating in Delaware. Now, there's three states um, where we talk about incorporating where uh, it's tax friendly. You have Delaware, which is on the East Coast, Nevada, which is closer to the West Coast. The new state is Wyoming now. Okay, so don't be surprised if you start seeing businesses pop up there and set up their headquarters in Wyoming where they can get the same uh, tax benefits that you would as either a Nevada corporation or a Delaware corporation. Now, I'm talking as a layman, but sit down with a tax attorney or or a CPA who, you know, is a professional that sets up your articles of incorporation or your articles of organization if you're an LLC. Intriguing. Go ahead, good brother, because I took us off course. Oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm all about the empowerment, so I, I wanted to see how this empowers us. Right. So. so so I just gave you the list of being uh, financially comfortable in these 12 metropolitan areas. Now, the second list is going to be what would it take to be financially wealthy in these 12 areas? OK, so same 12 cities, uh, the same online survey where they took a sample of 500 to 750 people uh, across an age range of 21 to 75. San Francisco, the Bay Area, to be financially wealthy. Personal net worth for San Francisco, $5.1 million. Uh, Southern California, which includes LA to San Diego, $3.9 million. Uh, New York City, $3.4 million. Washington, D.C., $3.3 million. Uh, Seattle, Tacoma, $3.2 million. Boston, uh, $2.7 million. And Phoenix is also $2.7 million. Uh, Dallas and Houston each, uh, $2.6 million. Uh, Atlanta and Chicago each, $2.5 million. And then finally, Denver, uh, $2.3 million. Okay, good brother. So for your precise thinkers, what's your go forth and message? <laughs> you know, what's 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 the move? You know, what shall we do with this information? Okay. The first thing you got to realize is that you're going to need a lot of resources if you're going to live on this planet Earth. Okay, there's no other way around it. And especially if you're talking about living in America, you're going to have to focus on getting rich. Not necessarily die trying, but you're going to have to get rich. Especially with inflation the way it is. And especially for African people, you're going to have to be more entrepreneurial minded. I know people say, well, you know, not everybody can be. You don't have a choice anymore. Just being Black in America should automatically make you entrepreneurial minded in the first place. Now, in my book, I talk about the importance of having every household should have at least four streams of income. 
coming into your household and at least one of those streams of income should be passive and or residual income. Okay, wait, 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 wait. What do you mean by passive and or residual income? Just for the uninitiated. Okay. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, let's let's okay, I'll give you an example about Nas. I think it was his last one of his last albums that he put out, okay? He made his daughter the executive producer. So, let's say every quarter she gets a royalty check where she didn't have to physically show up anywhere to do any work. So every 90 days, she gets a royalty check in her bank account. That's an example of passive or residual income. Okay. So basically it's income where you don't have to physically work for it, uh, like earned income. Yep. That's the actual Interesting, interesting, mm-hmm. interesting. Right. Seven-year-old, mm-hmm. seven-year-old with income. Right. We got to get rich, y'all. We got to get rich. Okay. And and this is the thing that you really have to do. Like I said, you can't play checkers anymore. You really have to up your financial game to where you're playing chess. Well, that kind of brings me to one of the uh, Crumb Nation quotes. <laughs> Crumb mm-hmm. said a few months ago that if you're a parent and by the time your child turns 18, you're unable to provide a source of employment for your child, then you failed as a parent. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And what's interesting is when I started sharing that quote and when we, you know, we had that show, we had a lot of people pushing back saying, no, that's crazy. No, my job as a parent is to do this. My job of a parent is to do this. My job as a parent is to do. And people were saying that nobody does that. And Crumb was able to point out that there is a large community who's able to make sure from the moment their child turns 18, they have resources and they have tangible assets, mm-hmm. which could be converted into employment or could be converted into cash. So right. if there are communities out there that are already doing this, mm-hmm. what do we need to do? There's to a change book, that narrative. Yeah, there's a book I'm going to recommend and you can dig it up. Um, the book is called Make Your Kids Millionaires. Uh, the book came out this past summer. And the reason why I like this book is it gives you a blueprint on how to take your child from the womb to by the time he or she is 18, where he or she will never have to shop a resume outside of the family. Unless they want to. Correct. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's that's the book. Make Your Kids Millionaires. Uh, the co- One of the co-authors is Laurel Langemeyer intriguing what's okay. the last name uh langemeyer and the other individual kyle bokeman both sound pretty abramic if you understand okay. what i'm saying i'm talking in code both sound yeah. pretty abramic right now uh langemeyer and the, the reason i'm uh bringing her up first some of you who have seen the the uh, documentary the secret that was the first time you probably seen Laurel Langemeyer. Now she's originally from Nebraska. So she's a farm girl. All right. And basically got into the, uh, I guess you would call it the personal wealth development game at a very young age. Okay. Uh, the, her co-author, uh, he's ex military. He's originally from Oklahoma. Okay. But I highly recommend that book because they actually lay out an 18-year blueprint for your child to become financially free and economically independent. Wait, 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 wait. (laughs) An 18-step process, and we can almost ensure that they follow the leader, follow the plan. Mm. Our children will be extremely wealthy when they become of age. Yeah, like I said, from the womb to age 18, they've laid out an entire blueprint. 
And when we say to people that there are communities where this is the norm, mm-hmm. people think it's crazy. But here's well, the blueprint. Right. It's all about how you've been conditioned. Have you been conditioned to be a producer or a consumer? Have you been uh, positioned to create jobs or have you been positioned to look for jobs? It's, it's all about your conditioning and your upbringing. And what is the dialogue that takes place at the kitchen table? You know, what are the subjects that you're discussing? And, and another thing, going back to the, the comment that you had made about the what, what Crumb had said, here's the thing that I really uh, had to be aware of, okay? As an adult, if I'm advising young people, I have to be able to look at the future through their eyes. So whatever I'm advising them has to fit their reality, not necessarily what worked for me in the past. And I think as adults, we have to be very mindful of that. So what may have worked for us back in the day may not be relevant for the youth and what they're facing because their world is far more complex than the one that you and I came up in. I would agree. I would agree. Okay. But this, when I'm not, there's no but to this. I'm not putting a but mm-hmm. in there. <laughs> this queen has a plan that allows a person within three to five years to make millions for the average Jill and Joe. So the plan is out there, family. The plan is out there. Mm-hmm. And if you get her, her first book called The Millionaire Maker, um, one of the things that she talks about is this. She says, everybody has a skill set to where you can generate an extra 200, I want to say $210 per day because her thing, and I mentioned this also in my book where I talk about if let's say if let's say if you're trying to eliminate debt, you can't budget your way out of debt. That's like rearranging the furniture in a house. You have to introduce new money into the mix to help alleviate old debt. Okay. Okay. And what she talks about is creating new money. And in, in the Millionaire Maker book, what she also talks about is what is your, um, I guess you would say, what is your independence day? What is your target date to where you no longer have to work for money? Wow. I love the future focus. But the interesting thing is, well, let me let me read this Facebook comment. So I think you got to be able to do both work in hopes that you can make, but also be equipped to look for jobs. But we're see, this is the other thing. You can't look at things from your perspective. That's why I said earlier you have to start looking at things through the eyes of your children, okay? Because your children are dealing in a world that's much more complex and you have to be able to advise them in real time. So how can I tell young people to look for a job when we've got robo cooks at White Castle eliminating the need for human labor? See, as adults, we have to start looking at things in real time. Okay. Yeah, we're in many ways, we're preparing our children for an environment, an experience that's in the past. Yeah, I forgot who said it. It's like one of the greatest tragedies is preparing people for a world that no longer exists. Hmm. Yeah, and I would say, because, you know, I work in the educational arena. And every day I hear teachers just repeat the same old tired phrase. Well, when you go to college, well, when you go to college, now, now I'm, a, I'm a proud Hamptonian, okay. you know, so I, I love my HBCU. I love my college experience. Hampton University also attended Old Dominion University, went to Regent University for my master's. And my endorsement in educational leadership is from the George Washington University. So I love education. I'm not putting that down. But what's intriguing to me 
is the same teachers who say, well, you got to go to college are also living paycheck to paycheck. And like you, I'm not anti-education, but what you're getting, uh, you know, from uh, what I would call traditional education is insufficient. And what you also have to look at is the fact, what is the shelf life of these degrees now? Okay. In the past, I think it used to be four to five years. Now it's wait, like wait, wait, wait. Months. That's a concept that most people are not familiar with. What's the shelf life mm-hmm. of a degree? Right. So what happens if I don't enter the work world for five to six years in the area where I have my degree? Has my degree expired well there i think there's a thing called moore's law where it talks about how information is turning over every 18 months okay so let's say depending on your degree all right let's say you're pursuing a bachelor's degree all right if information is turning over every 18 months your potential degree has been rendered obsolete twice before you walk whoa okay that's how fast information is turning over you see so that's why i said what you're learning in college is is not enough to deal in today's complex world so you have to make personal development and uh education a lifelong thing and it's definitely not enough to make you a millionaire right you know, if you think about the fact that people, most people who come out of universities, unless they went to a Hamptonian, you know, went to Hampton University. <laughs> uh, you know, and the reason I say that is when I was at Hampton, there was a little flyer that was on the wall and it says, what do you call a Hamptonian five years after graduation? Mm. Boss. <laughs> okay. okay. And you know, I came out of the great HU in 1990. Uh, so I want to say salute to all my Howard University, the people who say they're the real HU. Hampton University is the better HU. So <laughs> be real. <laughs> hey, let me get back to my point. Mm. If Moore's law is true, then if a child goes into 12 years, of a educational system right k to 12 how many times has their education become out of date right and and what you're seeing now and this is just my own personal opinion i think as far as the american school system is concerned are they really about the business of educating human beings or are they doing things just to justify their own existence? Okay. Because that's two totally different animals. And when you're in the process of justifying your own existence, sometimes it's at the expense of the individual that you were designed to serve. Okay. So, so we really have to, and the fact that when we look at the American so-called educational system, uh, most of what is taught in these schools is dictated by the, the state departments of education. So there's always been this talk about why isn't financial literacy taught in the school system? Well, you have to go to the state department of education in your state and put that question to them. Well, see, I work in a higher educational system. Well, okay. I work in a high school. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. So we, we jokingly call it a higher educational system. Mm. Um, they do have a economics course. Mm-hmm. And in the state of Virginia, you know, I'm here in the great state of Virginia, two up and two down. Salute to Chris Brown. We do have the mandate that you have to have an economics course to graduate but I still don't think it's sufficient to prepare them for the opportunities that have just developed within the last two years no and and especially if you're going to study economics you know I I remember um, you know I talk about my ancestral teacher brother Steve Copley he said he I forgot where he spoke at 
uh, at a college and he says, okay, how many of you in here are economics majors? You know, hands were raised. All right. Then he asked the question, okay, how many of you can tell me who is in charge of the IMF and the World Bank? Okay. Interesting. Because what, what we're saying is, is that if you're going to learn economics, how is that, how can you apply that degree in real time? You've got people who have, let's say, PhDs in economics, but can't tell you who is their city comptroller, who is their city accountant, who's their city treasurer. So how do you understand economics when you don't even know who sell the bonds in your municipality who are they being sold to wait 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 <laughs> that's my third this is my third wait <laughs> in the show this is my third wait 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 in the show <laughs> comp troller now you're talking government okay but but see this is where if you really study economics i call it the ultimate backstage pass because when you study economics now you get into other arenas you get into having to understand history uh get into some you know some futuristic things okay so so when you study it you know how are you applying it well one of the great things is we have with us today a great author who has some solutions to what we could do to improve our community now your advice in goat isn't necessarily all focused on community building some of the some of the advice in your book is you know dealing with how we can personally improve our situations am i correct yeah it's a combination of i guess you would say self-economics and group economics so there's a a, a synergistic uh, approach that I have because a lot of times people want to talk about group economics, but I got to get your self economics fixed first. Okay. Well, okay. break out that that uh, great diatribe of yours, <laughs> and and so, let let's hit a couple of points as we. Well, did you get everything off of your plate? Did I talk about? Yeah, so so we talked about everything from, from that CNBC.com article, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about your book and how your book can help us. So my book, I got to pull it out. Okay, Gospel of Afronomics Theology, okay. This is about 22 years of personal experience and research in areas of business and personal finance. Okay, and the way I approach it, I approach it from what I call an African centered perspective. There's not too many uh, books that have philosophies and programs, plans, and processes that deal with economics from an African centered perspective. Okay, because this is a black economic liberation theology that's rooted in a nucleus of culture history and spirituality and when you study other ethnic groups and when you study um why they're successful they're rooted in that nucleus you know i've always said show me a people with cultural cohesiveness and i'll show you a people who are economically prosperous oh <laughs> okay let me yeah. do it again Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Number four, what do you mean by cultural cohesiveness, good brother? Okay, cultural cohesiveness is this. When you look at an ethnic community, the one thing that unifies a community is its culture, which means its traditions, its experiences. Uh, we can throw in language. And based on those common characteristics within a group there's a there's a cohesiveness in fact you know i was talking with a, a brother the other day and we were talking about the concept of what is called a susu or an isusu now for those of you in the caribbean would know what i'm talking about or from west africa what i'm talking about okay is a susu or what we would call a rotating credit program or a savings program Okay. 
And a lot of that is built on not only cultural cohesiveness, but also trust, which is part of the cultural cohesiveness. And let's bring it back to your book. Okay. All right. So you talk about the science of beef. Yes. So drop that beautiful bean footage. So the science of beef, it's an acronym standing for business, economics, entrepreneurship, and finance. If you go back to, uh, for those of you who have read the most honorable Elijah Muhammad's classic message to the black man, uh, he said that there were three sciences that a people needed to master in order to have community or any form of civilization. Okay. And the first one, he says the science of business. I've expanded it to where I say the science of beef, which is business, economics, entrepreneurship, and finance. In fact, uh, the Nation of Islam has a, I think they still have it, where Minister Farrakhan spoke at Fisk University in Nashville. And the topic was businesses warfare. So if you go to the Nation of Islam's website, see if they still have that lecture that Minister Farrakhan gave called Businesses Warfare. Okay, good brother. So we went through the science of beef. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about my favorite. Oh, yeah. Being a cultural tither, you know, we always talk about the spiritual tithe. You know, everybody talks about Malachi uh, 3, 9, and 10. What I say is, can you give a dime of every dollar to a race first or an African-centered organization? You know, whether it's Nation of Islam, UNIA, Moore Science Temple, United Negro College Fund, any organization you feel is a race first African-centered organization that looks out for the lives and the livelihoods of the African world community. And just to give that quote, you are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse Mm -hmm. so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do so, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the window of heaven for you. Mm -hmm. So are we under a curse, brother? I, I would have to say yes, because how much of our resources have we robbed of our institutions? You know, the controversy that we've been hearing about uh, HBCUs and the situation of how they've been underfunded, okay? In fact, I was watching a podcast with uh, Shannon Sharp and your your frat brother, Eddie George, talked about the situation at Tennessee State of the underfunding of uh, HBCUs and particularly the situation uh, with Tennessee State. Well, that's interesting because Forbes says that America cheated its black schools. Mm, I think that's an understatement. Yeah, we're going to have to go through this one. But compared to their predominantly white counterparts, Mm -hmm. compared to our predominantly white counterparts, the nation's black land-grant universities have been underfunded by at least $1.28 billion over the last three decades. Okay. Now, here's another statistic that I'm going to throw to your audience. Okay. Wait, 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 wait. Living under a cloud of violence. Where they do that at? Unless they're talking about financial violence, economic violence. They must be talking about financial violence. The the HBCUs are some of the safest campuses. They actually, okay. you know, I'm here in the Hampton Roads area and our PWI, you know, Old Dominion University, which I attended, actually has a lot more dangerous situations, physically dangerous situations than, you know, I'm a proud Norfolk State University father. My son received his physics degree from Norfolk State University. And it's interesting because people say, oh man, NSU is dangerous. But if you look at the police report, it's the PWI. And that's the norm. That's right. not that's not just a, a rare exception. But I think it probably speaks more to the economic violence that has gone on. Now, the U.S. Department of Education says that there are 107 HBCUs in America, according to the U.S. Department of Education. 
if you were to put them together, their endowments are a fraction of what a Harvard or Notre Dame. In fact, Harvard has an endowment of at least $42 billion. Well, Hamptons is pretty nice. But what's interesting in that article from Forbes hmm. is it stated that they've been underfunded when compared to their peers. Right. And so the federal government, the state government, is underfunding them. And so there was a big talk when, you know, President Trump was in office that President Trump gave more money to the HBCUs than his predecessors. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, if I've been underfunding <laughs> you for generations, mm-hmm. the fact that I'm less underfunding you it's <laughs> nothing to shout about, bro. It's 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 the craziest thing, man. But uh, and, you know, we get wrapped up in personality, right? Now here's an and and I'm gonna add another book to the record. If you really want to understand the genesis of this problem, there's a book that was co-authored by uh, Carter G. Woodson and Charles Wesley. It's called The Negro in Our History. And what that book did, it talked about how certain foundations played a role in the creation of these HBCUs, put up the money for them. We're talking about the Rockefeller, the Carnegie, the Rosenwald Foundation, the Ford Foundation, okay? So when you put up the money, you also dictate curriculum. So they also set up the curriculums for the black high schools throughout the South, paid the teachers, the middle schools, and the and the grade schools. Okay. So so when you talk about the genesis of this, why were they created in the first place? And what type of individual were you trying to create to come out of these HBCUs? Were you trying to create students who will go and do for self as the Honorable Elijah Muhammad would teach? Or were you trying to create another labor force to put into these Fortune 500 companies? Intriguing, intriguing. Well, good brother, let's bring this up to an end. Mm -hmm. I know we went through the science of beef. Right. We talked about being a cultural tither. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about uh, my other fave, the $20 revolutionary. 20 is plenty. What up, bros? Being a $20 revolutionary, and this is as simple as it gets. So every week, Commit yourself to making a $20 purchase from a Black-owned business, whether it's brick and mortar or e-commerce. And what that does is, is that every time you make a purchase from a Black-owned business, you never know if you're keeping that Black-owned business in business for another week or if you're helping that Black-owned business to hire more staff. So there's a revolution that we can do just by channeling our, our own resources back into our hands. You know, I said, if I had written GOAT in 1995, where I presented it at the first Million Man March, there were two million brothers there. If I had given the instruction to say, while you are in DC, I want every brother here to make a $20 purchase from a black owned business while you're in DC, we could have easily put in one day, think about it, in one day, we could have put $40 million in D.C.'s Black economy. What would that do for D.C.'s Black economy if we had done that? Wow. So we're acting you, asking you <laughs> to do your Black act. Your Black act. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's being a $20 revolutionary. Right. Or your melanated magic, you know, if you don't want to use the term Black. Or oh, yeah. your indigenous <laughs> indigenous industrial act (laughs) (laughs) you know we'll come up with some other phrases for that brother Mm. so that was being $20 revolutionary right yes so I guess the last one is you want people to become cops yes Uh, be a creator owner and protector of what you create especially when we deal with intellectual property um we have to be in the business of creating our own uh owning and protecting 
making sure that you have the right uh, apparatus, things in place. So that way, when you do put a product or service out in the market, that you will receive the royalties that are due to you. I know uh, you and I talk about uh, who I would call our hero, Lonnie Johnson, who had to fight for his royalties from uh, creating the Super Soaker water gun, which in its initial uh, its initial creation had generated over $1.5 billion. What Johnson discovered was that by the time it had gotten to Hasbro, Hasbro had owed him nearly $72 million in unpaid royalties, which he eventually won. And that's our man. I was going to say that uh, Brother Lonnie Johnson received the bulk of his money, I believe. Okay. So, okay. all right. So, hey, let's bring this to a close, good brother. Yeah. So, you know, like I said at the top of the show, you know, uh, 50 Cent had the saying, get rich or die trying. Uh, I don't think we have to die trying, but we do have to get rich because that is the only way, or really, that's going to be the primary way that we're going to survive what uh, Alan Greenspan calls the age of turbulence. Okay. So that poor righteous teacher game is dead. All right. If we want to get anything done on this planet, it's going to require us to accumulate resources and make sure that we have a plan to maximize those resources and bequeath those resources uh, to future generations of African people. 